folks and we are back again and this is Nate Johnstone and with you as always the ignominious Paul Anderson. Hi. Uh, I'm gonna keep using uh, positive adjectives to uh, describe you. I will eventually run out I will eventually run out of positive ones and we'll move on from there to other ones. But uh, <laughs> uh, we've been last week we talked about identity and the um, extremely important yet I would say barely understood topic of identity, how important it is for us as humans, certainly as followers of Jesus Christ, to understand who God is and who we are. Yes. And Paul, you said that those two pictures, those pictures, our picture of who God is and our picture of who we are, are the two most important things in our life. And the sad thing is sometimes those pictures are false representations of reality. I don't know if you've ever uh, taken a picture of yourself or had someone take a picture of you and you look at it and you're like, that is a horrible <laughs> picture of me. And you do not want that posted anywhere or do it in any way represent you. Um, some of us have those pictures of ourselves and that's how we think of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Or that's how we think of God. And it's not a good representation at all. Um, sometimes it's not even a picture of the right person. Some of us have pictures of God in our heads, and that isn't even a photo of God. It's it's a cartoon character that we created or were taught, maybe as kids, like the mean old man in the sky who yes. looks a bit like Charlton Heston and never gets off his chair. But when he does, ooh, he's hopping mad, <laughs> yep. and he is gonna smack you with a big stick. You know that is that is not God and never was. But a lot of us were taught that. I think that's a common American conception of God is the mean old man in the sky with the stick waiting to hit you when you mess up. And that's, that's not a good picture of God. So that's what we're talking about uh, in these weeks is understanding our identity means understanding who God is and who we are. And I wanted to start with um, going back to Luke chapter 15 where we find the, the parable of the prodigal son. We talked about this last week. And this it's such an important parable in so many ways. I think it's probably, Luke 15 is probably Jesus' best sermon. And he's got some good ones. <laughs> You know, he had some, he had some winners. Yes. There were a few that, you know, just kidding. But um, this is one of my favorites because it really strikes at the heart of both of these. It strikes at the heart of who we are, and it strikes at the heart of who the Father is. And I think that's why it's so loved by so many people. So at the beginning of the parable, of course, you have the, the younger son who wants nothing more than to get out of here. Right? And... It's a parable, so we have to be careful not to read too much into this. Um, so we don't know what's the background here. Why Why does he just want to get out of town? Is he just spoiled? Is he just selfish? I don't know. It seems like, though, he doesn't have a good picture of his father. Probably not. Because he does something that in, in Jewish culture is unthinkable. And he says, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I literally wish you were dead because I want my inheritance. So just give it to me now because I can't wait for you to die. And in that culture, that was just about the worst thing a son could do, especially a wealthy son. This person clearly had a lot of servants. He was a landowner. I mean, so he was probably a fairly important guy. Um, The father doesn't react. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't chastise him. He does something that to this day I find unthinkable. 
And that's that he does it. Yes. He gives him the inheritance. And this is God in the story. This is God in the story giving his kids rope. Even if they go on to choke themselves with it, as he does in this other country. And the, the degree to which God respects our free will is incredible. It is. As outlined in this passage. A lot of people, I hear people give arguments all the time like, oh, if you believe in God, you believe in fatalism and there's no re real free will and all this kind of stuff. And none of those people understand anything about time or faith or, or destiny. Like, this is how God views free will. He gives it to us to a degree that I would not want to give my own kids. That's right. And yet I know I should because that's what the passage is. Um, and it's just, it's just incredible that God just says, okay. Now, we don't know, obviously, how many times has the kid asked this before. I think the father clearly saw this growing in his heart. He was already gone. I agree. Yeah. I think in his heart, the kid was already gone. Yeah. And the father knew he had lost him. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing the father could do, he couldn't keep him. Mm -hmm. The father couldn't keep him. But he might be able to get him back. Mm -hmm. And so he says, okay. And he gives him the inheritance and he lets him go. And it's, it's sad. It's a very, very sad story. But it's just, I marvel at the fact that God does it. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's... That's how he sees us, and that's how he lets us live. It's actually, to me, it's very sobering. I remember a time as a young person where I was contemplating sin. I was contemplating another way. And I, I found myself just leaning toward it and preparing to take a step. And what I sensed God saying to me was, go ahead. And when I heard that in my inner heart, I shuddered. God's going to let me go ahead and walk into sin. He's not going to hold me back. To miraculously show up and throw a wall in your way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that, that caused me to pull back because yeah. I thought God is that secure in himself that if I say I'm going to go there, he will say, okay, go. It's like Jesus saying to, when, when some people walked away, he turned to his disciples, and this is how controlling he was. He said, are you going to go too? He just asked him. Yeah. I mean, almost offered it, really. Yeah, yeah. Now's, now's the chance to go. Yeah. It's all right. So I, I think... The father, like you say, was so... He's the most uncontrolling person in the universe. Mm -hmm. Incredibly and so. When his son had already left in his heart, I think he, he said that that's, that's what we're going to do. That's, that's the best way to go here. Let him go. And well, I think a lot of Christians have this weird idea that... It, this can't be that bad for me to do because if it was that bad, God would stop me. I've heard people say that. Well, I know I shouldn't be living with my girlfriend, but I mean, if it was really bad, God would stop me, right? Like, would God stop you from walking on the train tracks? 
I doubt it. If you walk on the train tracks, he's probably not going to show up and cause a mighty wind to knock you over. That sort of thing happens once in a while. You know, you hear those kind of stories. But most of the time, he lets us make our choices. Yes. And, uh, and that's really scary in a way. It was scary to me. It was literally scary. I, I did not want to go there because uh, it, it put the fear of God in me. Yeah. To realize that we have all the responsibility for our own life. Mm-hmm. We can't blame God like Eve did. You know, we can't blame God for what did happen or what didn't happen. It's, hey, he'll let you make the choice and he'll let you do it. You can go off to another country. You can forsake your, your family, your religion. I mean, that's what the prodigal son was doing, going into a pagan country. He's forsaking God. He's forsaking his religion. He's forsaking his family name, his people. You know, the Jewish people, that identity. We're talking about identity, okay? Mm -hmm. He forsook his identity. A hundred percent of who he was, he changed. He Mm -hmm. gave up to go and live this, this fantasy, this thing that he had in his head, that if I do this, I will be happy. And I know people who have done this exact thing, and I have counseled them not to, and I've begged them, and I've pled with them. What I need to be happy is to go live a homosexual lifestyle. That, that's what it's going to take. That's what I need to be happy. They have this fantasy in their head that that's what their identity should be. Or I need to change genders and become a woman. That's, that's the fantasy in my head that if I do that, I will be happy. I'm not happy here. And in, in all these cases, God didn't show up with a truck and block their path. They chose their path, they walked down it, and they are now in that other country. Mm-hmm. And it's not going well for any of the ones that I'm thinking of right now. Um, not well at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are yet with the pig slop, wishing they could just eat the pig's food. Um, but I have no doubt that they'll get there. Yeah. And I pray for these folks that they will have the response that the prodigal has when he was lying in that spot. Yes. When he, it finally dawns on him, it says, and he came to himself. Great line. Verse 17 of Luke 15. But when he came to himself, like, at some point, the deception, the stronghold, we, we talked about strongholds previously. The prodigal son had a stronghold. He had this insane lie, this insane deception, that going and living this other lifestyle is what was going to make him happy. And he gave into that hook, line, and sinker, but eventually everything fell to the ground to such an enormous degree that that lie couldn't be maintained anymore. He couldn't even lie to himself anymore. He's starving. He's dying. He's probably diseased. He's lying in there with the pigs, which obviously as a Jew, that's a hilarious joke by the people in this other country. Let's make the Jew feed the pigs. You know, So these aren't nice folks that he made friends with over there. Um, they're not nice at all. But eventually that lie, it can't be sustained anymore by reality around him. He looks around and he comes to himself. What did I do? What am I doing? How did I end up here? What is going on? And there are people who in that moment make terrible choices. Yes. Like suicide. Yeah. And drugs. Because they realize things have gotten so bad, they can't see a way out of it. But this person had once lived with the father. I think this is a Christian who's backsliding. I think that's the story. Um, this is someone who knew, who did know the father. So he's like, I could go back. Maybe he is forgiving enough to let me come back 
as a servant, which is pretty incredible because the slight he gave to the father was significant. Yeah. And yet somewhere deep down, he still knew the father was forgiving. Yeah. Clearly. Because he's willing to come back. And so he comes back and prepares this speech. I'm not worthy to be your son. So, I mean, he's really humbled. He was really humbled. He really saw where he was. Obviously, we see grace when we read this passage. This was the Holy Spirit working in him. You don't just get that humility on your own, you know. The, but if you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, being in the pig trough helps. Um, so, sometimes if you don't humble yourself, you will be humbled. Yes. And being humbled is not fun for anyone. Ask this guy. Uh, not fun at all. Um, and he comes back to the father. And, and so the father's gamble, if you want to put it that way, pays off. And he says, well, I, I hope he comes back. We'll let him go. But, but the father betrays that he didn't write the son off exactly because he's waiting for him to come home and looking down the road. Because it says, well, he was still a long way off. Mm-hmm. The father saw him. So he's, yes. he's sitting on the porch looking all the way down the mountain pass probably every day for a sign of his son, which is one of the most beautiful parts about this to me, is that despite what the father knew was happening, the father was not ignorant about what was going to happen with the son and how he was going to waste the father's money and and live, you know, an immoral and sinful life. He's still waiting, waiting, waiting for him to come back. And the second he sees him, the father gets up and runs. Yes. He doesn't wait for the son to come crawling all the way on his knees, a little further, a little further, a little bloodier. Yeah. I want to hear more weeping, a little more weeping, please. You know, that's not the kind of God he is. That's some people's picture of God. Some people's picture of God is, I need to really whip myself for the sin I have committed. Sounds like Martin Luther. Yeah. This yeah. was this was the exact trouble Martin Luther was in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I bet you anything this passage helped Martin Luther because the father runs. No, grace is way stronger. Yeah. Grace is way stronger than anything. He runs at that kid and he hugs him right away. And the, the part I love is that the kid launches into his prepared speech. He, he doesn't even know what's happening. It's like his mind can't con- quite comprehend the level of grace that he's receiving right now. Mm-hmm. So he just launches into his speech and the dad cuts him off. Yeah. Before he gets to the, uh, just let me be one of your servants. The dad's like, okay. Enough of this nonsense. Here's the family ring back on your finger. You're my son. Here's the robe. Here's the sandals. And servants went bare feet. And people of the household wore sandals. That's the significance of the sandals. No, you're not a servant. You're one of us. You're wearing the ring. You've got the robe. But you are in all the way because you are repentant. And that's what grace does. Grace is way more powerful than anything else. And that's, this is something that is important identity-wise for all of us, I think, is that to understand that the devil is going to try to convince you that grace isn't that strong. Mm-hmm. It's not that powerful. Not for you. Mm-hmm. Not for you because of this and that. And he's crafty. He, he's always been crafty. So he will tailor it to you. And he will say, here are the specific reasons why. Grace isn't going to work for you. Because you don't believe 100%. That's another common one. Because you have to believe in God 100% and you don't. Be honest. You doubt sometimes. When you're lying in bed at night, you doubt. And therefore, God will not give you the grace. He's not going to forgive you. You're not worthy to come before him. It's a common one. 
Yeah. And people hear those lies, and, and it, it warps, thank you is the word, warps their picture of God into something else. Something that sounds a lot more like how the older brother views God. And if you look at how the older brother views God, like you mentioned last time, he doesn't call him father. The, the, the dad is the boss. He's the landowner. He's mm-hmm. the lord yeah. of the manor. And he's not paying him enough. And the son is the unappreciated servant. That's right. And the dad's reaction to him is just, it, it's, it's funny in a way. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be funny if you were the kid. Like, what's your deal, man? Like, <laughs> you've always been here. All that is mine is yours. You understand that, right? Do you understand? All that's mine is yours. But of course we have to celebrate because your son was dead and now my other son was dead and I was alive. We have to celebrate that. We can't not. Um, and I think this, I think a lot of us Christians are, are the older brother. We have this view of God as that, that tyrannical, like making us do stuff we don't want to do and whatever. Um, when in reality, all that he has is ours. Yeah. And Jesus made that, like Jesus literally said that word for word. Everything the father gave me, I give you. So everything of the Father's is ours already, but we still act like I'm God's lowly servant. But Jesus clearly said, you're no longer servants, you're friends. Yeah. Because a master doesn't tell his servants what he's about to do, what he's up to. Like, we're more than just servants. We're, I, I think of it as, you know, a, a king, like think of a king at his court. He has tons of servants. You know, lowly servants that just go out and do his bidding. But then he has his court, people close to him, dukes and earls and folks like that, generals, important folks. They're friends. They're closer. So he, mm-hmm. he, he takes their advice. He talks. He shares with them. Now, they still serve the king. Make no mistake. They bow the knee or they get their head chopped off. I mean, that's the way it works. Um, and so no matter what, we still serve God. We're always his servant. But we're a prince or a princess. We're not the yeah. pauper. We are a child of God, and Roman says, and if, if a child, then an heir. An heir of the kingdom of God. If you're an heir of a king, you're a prince. You're a princess. That's our true identity. That's who we really are. And that's what the, the father here is saying to the older brother in Luke 15. He's saying, all that is mine is yours. Like, you're thinking totally wrong. Everything you're thinking is bad. <laughs> Everything is wrong. How you see yourself is wrong. You're not just some lowly servant who's mistreated you know you're a prince if, if you don't think things are going well change them <laughs> like what's your problem here but of course we have to celebrate so I, I think this is this issue of identity can't be overstated yeah we need to we need to see God for who he is and we can't learn who God is apart from scripture mm-hmm. we have to read book we have to read this is a long letter of introduction <laughs> is what it is I and what are you doing when you say that you're you're holding up your i'm bible. holding up the bible and i'm saying this book is a long letter of introduction yes it's god's story and it's our story but i think god intended this as a way to introduce him to you and to me so that we can use this to start to get to know him but the goal is to get to know him yeah. Not just to scholarly learn about him from a book, but to actually know him. Mm-hmm. And the more we get to know God, particularly through the Bible, but also through our prayer life and through just walking with him and living that humility that we talked about, we get to understand who he is. 
And our picture of God changes, I think, over time. And for me, it, my picture of God is much different than it was even a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Much different than it was two decades ago. And two decades ago, it was still pretty good. I mean, my view of God was still, you know, a good thing. But, but I think it's much better now. It's much fuller now. Nate, you really got a hold of that story. I like this one. That it was obvious. You you enjoyed. You were preaching there for a while. <laughs> I, I kind of started preaching there. Uh, I could do several more actually on that passage. It's so good. It's just it's just so full of stuff, and I just love, I love the way Jesus portrays his father. He portrays his father so lovingly, and yet to the to the Pharisees to whom he was speaking, so surprisingly. Mm-hmm. I mean. The guy who forsakes all Judaism and everything and then ends up feeding the pig pen like, oh, yep, that's his just desserts. They, the Jews love that. The, the, the Pharisees, they love that. Yes, he's in the pig pen. Serves him right. Ha, ha, ha. Then he comes back and the father forgives them. They are open mouth. Like, their jaws are on the, in the dirt mm-hmm. for the rest of that story. Like, that, that is something that they could not handle. Yes. Because their legalism did not have space for grace. Yes. At all. And some of us because of our view of God or of ourselves, we don't have space for grace, even for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Some of us could forgive the, the prodigal. Some of us could forgive the, the younger son, the friend, the, the, the person we know at work for, for screwing up, but a lot of us won't forgive ourselves. We won't extend that grace to us. Mm-hmm. Or rather, we won't allow God to extend that grace to us. Um, because we are the older brother at the same time saying that we don't deserve it. I like the way my our friend, Kevin McClure, speaks about it. Mm-hmm. He says that we can either choose the mercy system or the merit system. Mm-hmm. And the younger brother got the mercy system. It touched him. The elder brother was operating with the merit system. I've slaved. I deserve it. Once you say you deserve it, you just canceled out grace. Right. Because then you're under a legal system and you get what you deserve. So you're right. He operated like a servant and he had no understanding of what it meant to be a son. Whereas the son who left came back and he was given an understanding by being able to receive grace. And he operated then under the mercy system. And he was, all he wanted was to be a servant. (laughs) <laughs> just yeah. let me be one of your servants you know and the father would have none of it which is what qualifies us for grace knowing that we don't deserve it yes and we deserve exactly. to be a slave exactly humility humility yeah. Yeah. I don't even be, deserve to be one of your servants but that would be awesome I'm certainly not worthy to be your son yeah. and, and, and that is true for all of us <laughs> but we need to get past that it's the, the the Martin Luther's thing of we're simultaneously saint and sinner yeah. And I get what he was saying by that, because at the time, the church was saying, you're a sinner, period. There is no saint. Mm-hmm. And Martin Luther then said, no, we need to go one step closer to grace and say, no, we are saints. Yes, we're still sinners, but we're also saints. We're the same. We're, we're, they, they happen simultaneously. I'm, I'm forgetting the Latin phrase um, that he used all the time. But... Uh, um, so Simul justus et peccator. Et peccator, that's it. Um, simultaneously, sinner and saint, yeah. saint and sinner, and I get what he was saying, but the thing I don't like about that is that 
we're a new creation. Absolutely. And in the New Testament, Paul especially is very, very clear. The law shows us that we were sinners. Mm-hmm. And grace now allows us to be saints. Yes. And leave the sinner yes. behind. That's yes. not to say that we can somehow reach a state of perfection while on this earth where we're never sinning. We could, we could debate that at another podcast. Um, but, but that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that our identity, what God says about us, yes. is not, you are still sinners, my children. No. You know, that's not, I would, I'm holding up the Bible again, folks at home. <laughs> show me in the New Testament, show me in these pages where Jesus or Paul or anybody in the New Testament says, by the way, all of you who are called the Christ, you are still in your identity sinners. Yeah. Yes, we will sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have and will continue to make mistakes. That's not what I'm saying. But our identity, who we are called to be in heaven, we are up there let's say is that's the identity of a saint of a prince and i'd like to wrap this up by praying for our people yes who are listening oh, to review we're looking at two pictures how we view god what is what is he truly what we perceive is what we receive so if we perceive him, perceive him as loving, caring, giving, compassionate, then that's what we receive. If we perceive him as blessing people, we just don't happen to be one of them. Or we, yeah, we play on the team, but we ride the bench. We're not the first stringer. We're not, we're not that special to God. Then that is what we receive. Mm-hmm. So it's so important to have a true and accurate picture of God. And it's also important to have a true and accurate picture of who we are. Just like you said, I am not a sinner. I do sin. I am not a sinner. I am called a saint in the Bible, a holy one. And so I'd like to uh, just finish this time together by praying with our listeners. Father, thank you for who you are that you are everything the Word of God says you are. You are sovereign. You're over all things. You are good, and that's good in the perfect sense. You are kind. You are kind to the unjust. You are kind to people who, who spit in your face. You water the lawns of those who hate you. You are so generous. You are so giving. And that's who we want our listeners to believe that you are, that you're, you are that way. You love blessing us. You love showing generosity to us. And so we receive that about you this day and say, yes, you are that. You are that to me. And we accept who we are, what the Bible says we are. I am forgiven in Christ Jesus. I am righteous because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I am on my way to a new land. I am I am a a temporary resident in the earth because I'm made for eternity. I'm going in that direction. So bless our people and those who struggle with their identity. We pray, God, that you would give them friends, pastors and leaders and uh, family members who can speak truth into their heart about who they are because then they can walk into their destiny. When we know who we are, we can walk where God wants us to, into our God-appointed destiny. We say, 
In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>